Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay. <laughs> Done. Don't press the red button. No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, this will be... I don't know if I'll be able to fit this all in a, a condensed version, or maybe we'll take a couple of uh, meetings. Um, I'll just do it like this. No, that's not good. So, um, tonight. I wanted to continue with um, the Eightfold Path series and um, talk about the second link of the Eightfold Path. Uh, you might remember, do you remember two weeks ago we did Right Understanding? Uh, and actually I'd asked people to keep in mind any of those reflections, those four reflections um, on uh, the shortcomings of samsara and uh, karma and death and impermanence and uh, um, precious human birth. Anybody work at all with those? Play around? It was two weeks ago, I understand. So, okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Uh, today I wanted to go to right thought, which is the, the second link of this, uh, this process, this prescription that the Buddha had, which is the, the way to liberation, liberation of mind. Uh, right understanding, among other things, including the possibility of freedom and to understand what leads to true happiness is naturally then leading to the second link, this right thought. When you see the possibility of happiness, then to get clear on what you are creating in your mind and in your heart so that you can fulfill that vision if it's an inspiring one for you. Right thought is also called right intention. Uh, also, it's sometimes referred to as right aspiration. And uh, as well, um, right attitude or wise attitude. And the word right, as I mentioned, was two weeks ago, but so I'll just repeat it. If that word right trips you up, it's not necessarily right versus wrong. If you think of right in, in, uh, in a sense of skillful, uh, then it can be easier to reflect and see if this is um, relevant to you and uh, is something that makes sense that you uh, want to explore and cultivate. So, 
right thought. One aspect of it, and there's a lot to say about it, but one aspect of it is simply understanding the power of thoughts. We have all of these random thoughts going through our mind, and one thing about getting into meditation is it's so striking what all goes through that you have very little, really, no control over. But thoughts have their power. You have a happy thought, and all of a sudden you're feeling happy. Or on or wired, yeah. <laughs> you have a, a negative thought, down thought, and it can easily bring you down if you don't understand the nature of thought. And a little exercise that I uh, do in my beginning class, and a number of you have gone through that, is to just take a thought, take a word, and notice its effect on you. Do we do this recently here? Um, just try this. Close your eyes for a moment. I'll say a word. <coughs> Notice what happens. Danger. Danger. Notice any images that might come up. Notice how it feels inside. Danger. I won't leave you here. Take a few breaths. You can erase the blackboard in your mind. I'll say a, another word. Ease. 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 Again, notice any images or just how it feels inside viscerally. Okay, if you'd like, you can open your eyes. You notice any difference? How many people noticed a difference between those two? Okay. Now, those are just two random words heard on your eardrum, translated into your brain, and they have a whole response inside, one very different from the other. Can you imagine what happens when we keep on playing certain thoughts over and over and over again, keep on pressing that replay button, thoughts that are troublesome, thoughts that are uh, grasping, thoughts that are uh, filled with guilt, or what happens if we, we play other kinds of thoughts over and over again that are lighter, that inspire, that open our, our hearts. Thoughts are extremely powerful. I remember um, many years ago, before I got into, into Buddha Dharma, uh, I came across the book Seth Speaks. How many people remember that book, Seth Speaks? It's a great book. And it was this, uh, this woman, Jane Roberts, who channeled, it was like the first channeling book that I that I ever came across. And I remembered reading, it was right near the beginning of the book where he put out, or she put out, or it came through, that thoughts in a very literal way create our reality, that this whole manifestation of the physical plane is all out of thoughts. And I was very skeptical of that. 
don't know why this keeps on going. It was, it just seemed a bit far-fetched that you think and something becomes materialized. And then I got into, into Buddha Dharma and um, kept on hearing the same message. And it was, at this point, it's just so obvious. But I'll, I'll read to you a, a few lines perhaps you've heard before. We are what we think, the opening of the Dhammapada. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind, a confused mind, and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind, a clear mind, and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts, unguarded. But once mastered, no one can help you as much, not even your father or your mother. Sometimes that first line is translated as, mind is the forerunner of all things. And it's true. Everything that we see here that is at least, that has been created by human beings was a thought. This light was, was a thought. This building was a thought. And somehow it gets manifested. <clears throat> In all the... Uh, the books on prosperity consciousness all have this same basic message. I remember in reading Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. It's a wonderful book. It's really a very high book. And his famous saying is, uh, what you can conceive and believe, you will receive. That's just the way it works. Here's a more inspiring Buddhist expression of this process. This is also from the Dhammapada. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into habit. And habit hardens into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care and let it spring from love, born out of concern for all beings. It's beautiful. I get a little shiver thinking of that. Our thoughts, as we keep on playing them, become, become who we are, especially when we believe them over and over. What thoughts get in the way? Traditionally, there are three thoughts that are uh, three kinds of thoughts that create the most problems: thoughts of sense desire, thoughts of ill will, and also thoughts of cruelty. That's the traditional list under right uh, under uh, unskillful thought, because thoughts of sense desire lead to craving ill will, aversion, and anger, and 
cruelty, those are very, very troubling, troublesome thoughts. And you know when you have them how, they, how those thoughts feel. As much as you prefer not to have cruel thoughts, maybe one or two have passed through the screen in your life, you know. <laughs> and it feels so weird. Oh, I feel like strangling. Yeah. Although, you know, probably you wouldn't strangle, but we all have that capacity inside. And when we can see clearly and not buy into those thoughts, then the wisdom can transmute that energy so that they don't have the same power. Thoughts of, of craving or desire can be transformed into generosity. And thoughts of ill will can be transformed into kindness when you see them clearly and hold them in a different way. Thoughts of cruelty, seeing those thoughts in ourselves and seeing how we have that capacity can change to develop what real compassion is. Oh yeah, I see that I have, you know, whoever the, the nasty is, these, who's the real nasties these days? You know, Saddam Hussein or whatever. You, we all have that inside of us and as you see it, Ah, you have a sense of compassion because you see how other people can get lost in their thoughts, too. Those first unskillful thoughts create a sense of separation where it's me against them. And I want to get my share or I want to, you know, make sure that that person gets their share. Um, And the wisdom thoughts have those barriers dissolved so that there's not that sense of separation. Right thought also has some aspect of understanding karma as well. You know, karma was part of the right understanding um, group. The thoughts that create suffering are thoughts of Grasping, aversion, or delusion, the big three, greed, hatred, and delusion. Somehow that didn't make the, the traditional list in the, in the one that I just mentioned. But those are the roots of the unwholesome, of unwholesome karma. And when they are seen clearly, then they are the source of happiness, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. And thoughts, or I should say karma, is all based on intention. Thoughts are where our intention starts. You have a thought to do something. It might just be a random thought, but when you give it power, when you say, I will do this, then you start the karmic um, wheel turning very forcefully. And all of karma is based on intention. It doesn't matter the act itself, it's the intention behind the act. And there's a, a story of um, uh, this, this guy in the Buddhist time, one of these monks, he was, a blind, uh, he was a blind monk, and he would do walking meditation and stepping on uh, ants and all kinds of you know, small creatures that got under, underfoot. And some of the monks, the other monks went to the Buddha and said, hey, this guy is killing left and right, and we have a precept that we're not supposed to kill. You know, what gives here? You know, he, he's, you know, he's going to get into a lot of trouble. 
And the Buddha said, no, not so at all. He's completely free of, of karma, of any bad karma from that, because his intention is, is one of great compassion and caring. So all of karma is based on intention, your motivation for an action, and what right thought understands is as you give energy to certain thoughts, you are nourishing them, what Thich Nhat Hanh calls nourishing healthy seeds. He says, if you have angry thoughts and you keep on giving them energy and believing them, then that's what you will be cultivating. And the likelihood of their arising in the future is greater, and you will have a karmic result of your actions as well. Whereas if you nourish wholesome thoughts, give them energy, then the likelihood of them manifesting in the future is greater. There is a good feeling right now as you're experiencing them, and there is the good feeling in the future, the result of the actions that those thoughts have led to. So it's understanding karma. We can nourish our healthy seeds, our healthy thoughts. So your mind might say, oh, so I guess the, the idea is to get rid of the unpleasant thoughts and have a whole lot of pleasant thoughts. But it doesn't work that way, as perhaps you've seen. When you try to get rid of the unpleasant thoughts, the paradox is as you try to push them more away, they become more and more your reality. They fill your reality. You know, like saying, oh, I'm so, I'm such a rotten person, you know, for having those thoughts. And then, oh, stop thinking of yourself as a rotten person. You know, and then you just kind of keep on compounding it. And as most of us know, how judgment can heap on, on top of another layer and another layer, and pretty soon you're mired in this morass of, of judgment. So it's not to get rid of those thoughts, the unpleasant ones. It's really to see the emptiness of them, that thoughts are as real as we make them and as illusory, as empty as we let them be. You can have any thought coming through the screen when you realize you don't invite it in and you don't have to blame yourself for having it, it's a tremendous freedom. Then you're not battling in, in adversarial relationship with it. You can just not give it energy. One of the, the powers of the meditation and one of the great uh, gifts of right thought is seeing the emptiness of thought and with the clarity of that seeing, the thoughts that don't serve you, particularly if you're quiet enough to listen to the tone that they come in. This has been a very, very helpful um, practice for me. If you don't know whether to believe the thought or not, just listen to the tone that it comes in. There are some thoughts, many, that come with a contracted energy, jagged, anxious, nervous, fearful, grasping, judgmental, harsh, 
that are very different from thoughts that are coming from a connected place of wisdom. The ones that say, this feels right. Uh, this doesn't feel right. There's not that, that harsh, agitated, contracted um, energy that's coming through, but more of an, a solid or a solid and spacious at the same time wise energy. And as you can give the space in your mind for those thoughts to be listened to with care, the ones that don't serve you, there's a greater likelihood to not jump on the train or get into a battle and just let them fly by because they're so ephemeral. And the ones that do serve you, to give them power, give them energy. That's where the responsibility comes in. And that's where thoughts lead to speech and action. Those are the next links in this Eightfold Path. But it all begins with thought and understanding the nature of thought. When we connect with our intention, it's very, very potent. It's a very potent practice to remind ourselves of what's important to us. Uh, you might do this. Uh, I know it's in, in my practice. There are a number of times throughout the day where I'm just reminding myself of my intention before I eat. I just take a few moments to get clear on, besides the fact that I'm eating, what I wish for this food to do to sustain me, to give me energy, to to practice with more sincerity, to share any fruits of practice with other beings, to wish for all beings to be free of suffering and not have hunger. You know, just to take a, f a few moments to reflect and each eating time becomes a moment of planting healthy seeds. At the end of sittings, many people do this. I, I do this at the end of a sitting, each sitting, just taking refuge in the Dharma or the three refuges that, that we chant or a couple of other things that I say to myself. Just to, it's, it's such a wide open moment, an open space. That's the perfect time to drop in a seed that inspires us in our intention. Every time I, I give a talk or see somebody, say in an interview, for a moment I'll reflect on what it is I want to happen and why I'm doing it, as, as Bud was beautifully talking about, and that spirit of service. And, you know, I have my own words, but perhaps you have yours. And if you don't, I would really encourage you to reflect on some words you can speak to yourself that, that speaks to your heart. But sowing those seeds of intention start to bear fruit very, very um, directly. The metta practice, how many people work with metta in their practice? It's a, a wonderful practice, you know, just saying phrases, you know, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I uh, 
be filled with loving kindness and extending that to others or may I be safe from inner outer harm. That is a practice of simply planting, setting your intention. It's not so much, well, I sure hope this happens to me soon and well, I've been doing this for three weeks and it hasn't happened and you know, not working. That's not the point. It is simply to have that that well-wishing of the heart be more and more accessible. And as you practice that, it becomes stronger and more naturally an expression of, of who you are. Right thought. I said before that we are what we think. We, we create the world. In a very literal way, you can practice this this next week, I would encourage you to, but see how we create our world, how what we see in others, we create. How what we see in ourselves, we are cultivating. How what we see in, our li in life, our attitude towards life, that becomes the lens, the filter through which we see. But particularly in interactions with others, you draw something out of them by what you look for. You know, oh, I know who he is. You know, he's a klutz, or he's stupid, or he's arrogant. Or, you know, when you feel somebody judging you like that, Take klutz, okay? Say you've been a klutz around this person, you know, and you have that idea that that's what they're seeing in you. How do you act, you know? Are you Fred Astaire? You know? Probably not. You start feeling klutzy and clumsy, and, you know, it's very different than when somebody sees you. And you say, and they, and you have a sense that they're saying, "Oh, I know, I know who this person is. Gee, they're a really nice person. They're a really warm-hearted person. Gee, that person's really somebody who I just enjoy being around." What does it bring out of you? So your thoughts create your reality, particularly your thoughts about yourself. And that's where it's like it was, you were talking yet, uh, about Pema Chodron uh, last week. We have to be very, very kind and compassionate and um, patient with the thoughts that we have that don't serve us and cultivate the ones that, that do around ourselves, seeing, reflecting on kind things that we've done. It's a, it's a standard practice in metta, just reflecting on something, some wholesome quality that we have, or some wholesome act that we've done sometime in our life. You know? And as you reflect on that more and more, that's what you generate, and what, what feels worthy of you. And I know this is possible, because I went from thinking of myself as I've shared this before, in, in my uh, early 20s, had a, a, an epiphany where thinking of myself as 
somebody who you know, things wouldn't work out for, and I was real pessimistic and cynical, and just seeing, oh, I wonder what it would be like, this is in a very powerful moment, where I saw that I was creating that, I wonder what it would be like if I tried it a different way, and I pretended, just as a practice, for a week or two, that people would like me, you know, and that people would, and that things would work out, you know, and lo and behold, the more I pretended, the more it happened. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool. You know, I don't get any gold stars for beating myself up. Nobody else knows or cares. I might as well go through life this way. You know? And I'm really glad I, I, I got that. You know, I can still beat myself up. You know, in a moment's notice, the button gets pressed. But mostly, I'm okay. You know? You have the choice to create whatever thoughts, to believe whatever thoughts come through. One who, uh, I can't resist reading a, a, um, a beautiful story that uh, addresses this. Sometimes stories are the, the, the best teaching and you come away from the talk remembering the story more than the and the point about this uh, monastery that um, had fallen on, on hard times. This is around this, the 18th century after a couple of um, hundred years of anti-monastic uh, uh, feelings in this particular area, these, um, this Christian uh, Catholic monastery had uh, dwindled to just a few last holdouts to carry on the order, and there were five of these monks left, and in their 70s or older. And they realized that the end was near, and they felt really sad that the order had died out. And uh, there was a rabbi who had a hermitage that he would go to near this monastery, uh, and the uh, abbot of the the, uh, the monastery fought to ask the rabbi because the rabbi had also experienced the same thing in uh, in his in his temple and synagogue and just a, a few a few people still coming. And the uh, the abbot asked him uh, any advice that you can give to um, to keep our our parish and our our, our monastery going. So the rabbi said to him and said, um, ah, I am sorry, the rabbi responded. I have no advice to give. The only thing I can tell you is that the Messiah is one of you. When the abbot returned to the monastery, his fellow monks gathered around him to ask, well, what did the rabbi say? He couldn't help, the abbot answered. We just wept and read the Torah together. The only thing he did say just as I was leaving, it was something cryptic, was that the Messiah is one of us. I don't know what he meant. In the days and weeks and months that followed, the old monks pondered this and wondered whether there were, was any possible significance to the rabbi's words. The Messiah is one of us. Could he possibly have meant could he possibly have meant one of us monks here at the monastery? If that's the case, which one? 
Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Yes, if he meant anyone, he probably meant Father Abbot. He has been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother Thomas. Certainly, Brother Thomas is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly, he could, certainly he could not have meant Brother Elred. <laughs> Elred gets crotchety at times. But come to think of it, even though he is a thorn in people's sides, when you look back on it, Elred is virtually always right. Often very right. Maybe the rabbi did mean Brother Elred. But surely not Brother Philip. Philip is so passive, a real nobody. But then, almost mysteriously, he has a gift for somehow always being there when you need him. He just magically appears by your side. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. Of course the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have meant me. I'm just an ordinary person. Yet supposing he did. (laughs) Supposing I am the Messiah. Oh God, not me. I couldn't be that much for you, God, could I? As they contemplated in this manner, the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one among them might be the Messiah. And on the off-off chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah, they began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect. Because the forest in which it was situated was beautiful, it so happened that people still occasionally came to visit the monastery to picnic on its tiny lawn, to wander along some of its paths, even now and then to go into the dilapidated chapel to meditate. As they did so, without even being conscious of it, they sensed this aura of extraordinary respect that now began to surround the five old monks and seemed to radiate out from them and permeate the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely attractive, even compelling about it. Hardly knowing why, they began to come back to the monastery more frequently to picnic, to play, to pray. They began to bring their friends to show them this special place, and then their friends brought their friends. Then it happened that some of the younger men who came to visit the monastery started to talk more and more with the old monks. After a while, one asked if he could join them, then another, and another. So within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order, and thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant center of light and spirituality in the realm. We are what we create. Right thought. Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba, uh, one of my most inspiring uh, Dharma uh, connections, had this instruction, this very similar instruction, that, I, that has been the same kind of gift for me. Keep looking for the good in people. Keep tuning into the good. Even when you see all, all the garbage around them, keep tuning into the good because that's what you'll bring out. It's a wonderful practice and I would encourage you to experiment with it.
right thought, seeing the Buddha in everyone, that's one very powerful aspect of it. The biggest aspect of right thought, or right aspiration, is seeing that we are not separate, and through that non-separation, having the motivation of practicing not just for yourself, but for everyone. Your practice is a gift for yourself and for everyone around you. This is called the spirit of bodhicitta. Last week when we talked about wise understanding, right understanding, or right view, it was, it's opposed to wrong view. And wrong view is identifying with your experience, identifying saying, oh, that's me, and solidifying the sense of separation. Right view is seeing the connection that we all have, that we are all part of the same fabric of life. And this bodhicitta, as the source of right thought, is a tremendously inspiring vision for practice. I'll just uh, draw to a close with this these words from uh, Nyosho Kempo, uh, a great Tibetan teacher. There is a saying in Tibetan that everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. This indicates the significance in every moment of cultivating altruistic, selfish, selfless intention, bodhicitta. We are not practicing for ourselves alone since everybody is involved and included in the great scope of our prayers and meditations on this perfectly pure motivation. It is not something foreign to us, this bodhicitta, yet it's something we could relate to more, cultivate and generate. We talk about vast and profound teachings such as Dzogchen, but without this goodness of heart, this unselfishness, it is mere chatter, gossip, and rationalization. The most important thing is to have a good heart, a pure and sincere heart, which is actually the fundamental essence of us all, and to practice for the benefit of all beings. So I would ask you this week to reflect on this intention, this aspiration, this clarity of vision. Reflect and reconnect with it again and again and again, reminding yourself what your heart really yearns to express. This is right thought. I'm sorry that there's uh, not time for discussion, but um, I'll be here if anybody has any thoughts about right thought. And uh, we can close with a, a loving kindness. But for a moment, as you go inside and take some breaths, through your heart center. Reflect on some good quality 
that you have or some good kind act that you've done just to get a sense of your goodness just imagine if this is the place that you came from in all your actions it feels good to connect with that this is part of who you are this is truly who you are and send some kind thoughts to yourself may I have happiness in my life May I express my kindness and caring well. May I have real peace inside. May my practice be for the benefit of all I know and all beings. And then sending these thoughts out from your own heart to include everyone here and all beings in all directions. As I want happiness, may all beings be happy. As I want to grow in kindness, may all beings feel the power of loving kindness. As I want peace, may all beings have real peace in their lives. May all beings everywhere be happy. So, thank you for your attention and have a good week. This talk was given by James Barris at Berkeley Sitting Group on October 15, 1998. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.